0: It's Friday, August 26, 2022, and this is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. I'm Josh Rawlerson. Pennsylvania has the nation's third largest system of state parks, and it's about to get a little bigger. The state budget approved by the General Assembly and signed by the governor last month includes funding for the establishment of three new state parks, as well as a new motorized recreation area. That's just part of an allotment for the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources that also includes much-needed funding for park infrastructure, maintenance, and repairs as well as for scientific research into prospects for carbon sequestration in Pennsylvania. All told, it's a nearly $13 million increase for DCNR, and there's lots more to talk about. Here to unpack this budget package is the Secretary of the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, Cindy Adams-Dunn. Madam Secretary, welcome back to Pennsylvania Legacies. Glad to have you here.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: My pleasure. Let's look at the broad strokes. What's in this state budget for DCNR, just top level?
1: Well, the exciting, uh, yeah, the exciting new thing was uh, the $696 million, the biggest investment in environment and conservation we've seen for at least 15 years. On top of that, uh, DCNR got a very healthy operating budget with some additional positions, and uh, we've got a renewal of our reemployment fund for our outdoor court, which is a CCC of our era. Um, so we were quite thrilled with this opportunity to serve the public through this budget.
0: One thing that I think has gotten a lot of press for understandable reasons is uh, the fact that Pennsylvania is about to get some new state parks. First of all, where are they going to be? I, how, yeah. how are you deciding where they're going to be is probably the better question. And when yeah. will we know?
1: Yeah, so the, the governor's going to be announcing them. So we were hoping to have the governor announce them himself. These are areas that we've been in discussion uh, with for quite some time, but we just didn't have uh, the opportunity to move forward. And uh, I'll, I'll give a couple of little clues. One of them is in the conservation landscape. One of them is near the Susquehanna River. Two of them are near the Susquehanna River. One of them is um, part of a land conservation project we've been doing with land trust over the course of about 10 years. So um, they're all all involving land trust partners to some degree or another. And uh, they're all meeting uh, a need where there's uh, a lack of a need for additional visitation, a need for additional resources for the public to visit places that have high visitation rates in existing parks and identified need by the local community and and their legislators. So, but the the interesting thing that's happened, of course, is that uh, in the announcement that there will be three new parks is that we're getting all kinds of great ideas from across Pennsylvania for state parks. And that's gratifying too, because uh, I think more than ever, the public recognizes the need uh, for outdoor spaces to recreate The COVID pandemic brought people outdoors in greater numbers than we've ever seen. And people want recreation, uh, want recreation close to home. They want to be able to go into a healthy, clean environment and enjoy the outdoors. So it's gratifying that there's so much public support for parks in the outdoors. So I wish we could do more than three, but um, we're pretty excited to be able to do three. I think the last park um, added to the system before this was Erie Bluffs. And it was early in the Rendell administration. So it's probably around 04 or something like that, 2004 or something like that. So it's been a long time. It's been almost 20 years since we've added a park. Uh, It's good to grow the system, right? When you think about um, Doc Goddard, who took the existing system that was in place at the time and decided there should be a park within 25 miles of every Pennsylvania. And he added uh, 40 some new parks to the system in a fairly Short order, and that was the biggest expansion we've had of the system, and really haven't had large expansions since then. So it's, re- it's a great opportunity.
0: So we're expecting an announcement from the governor probably later this year, and then where what's what's next? When would the parks be ready to welcome visitors?
1: I think in the case, uh, I, I think pretty quickly. I mean, we won't have the infrastructure in place, but there's rudimentary infrastructure, and in, and in two of the places. Um, I think trails and access will be provided you know, very early. Of course, with public land, um, you know, the key word for us is access. So we, we want to make them available to people just as soon as we possibly can.
0: One other recent announcement that came across in the midst of all the budget stuff, which is not a state park but related, is the, uh, the new motorized recreation area. That's opening right. up. Can you talk about that that project and you know how it supports DCNR's goals broadly uh, for conservation as well as economic development?
1: Sure. You know this project is a really interesting. One um, we had our eye on this for some time uh, since Google County. It's it's near the Luzerne County line. It's a fifty six hundred acre tract, which is one of the largest tracts under single ownership in the southeast part of the state. If you divide the state in four, it's more. You know, it's more. It's it's more in the anthracite region, but it's in that quadrant of Pennsylvania where there's really not uh, big tracts of land available. And it's a mosaic of abandoned mine lands. Uh, It's got the headwaters of the Catawissa Creek and it's got some uh, old growth hemlock and it's got some uh, oak oak pine heath barrens. And so it's got this variety of uh, habitat including some endangered species. So it's exciting property to bring into the Bureau of Forestry's management is the Catawissa recreation area. It also represents a different approach to motorized uh, recreation. We have, uh, as an agency, really moved more and more to em- embracing um, the motorized recreationists as part of uh, the, the recreation family and, and trying to accommodate the, the growing interest there. A lot of people's introduction to recreation in the outdoors comes to motorized. So, We'll be able to, um, along with DEP, have a real win-win for the environment as they do the beta-mineland remediation. Uh, they'll uh, cl- clean up the, uh, the water problems and clean up the seeps, as well as help uh, reorganize some of the uh, you know, destroyed landscape and uh, put it into a form that can be used for recreation. Uh, the, the park has actually been operated uh, uh, under as a, as a motorized park in the past. So there's some uh, infrastructure there for motorized. And then we'll work on uh, a management plan and a restoration uh, for the rest of the ecological attributes the property has. And having that in direct forestry management will allow us to kind of hone the best practices in uh, conservation-minded uh, uh, outdoor recreation, and especially in the motorized realm where it can be a little more challenging. So uh, we announced the project. Last Friday, it was very exciting. A lot of support from uh, the motorized community, the local community that sees the business economic opportunities coming out of this recreation. And then, and we look at it as perhaps a model where, uh, you know, think about Pennsylvania, where are the opportunities uh, for new outdoor recreation? A lot of it's gonna be on abandoned mine land. And so is this a model to get the best, you know, of the ecological restoration, outdoor recreation and getting more people in outdoor recreation family, getting the financial support we need to conserve more land um, and in doing so then be able to improve the ecology and the water quality of these areas. So I think it's a win-win, it's a good model. It's a new uh, generation of approach for uh, recreation for us and for restoration.
0: More welcome news out of the budget is the fact that there is now some funding, I believe, toward infrastructure, repairs and maintenance and upkeep that's been put off for a while. We've been hearing for years about the backlog. Where does that stand now with this new funding? What are the biggest needs remaining? What, you know how, how will this money be put to use?
1: Well, we got about 100 million specifically uh, in the recreation realm. And so 75 million of that will go to our, our own parks and forest infrastructure and 25 out to our partners for recreation, often infrastructure at the local park level where people are developing and improving close to home recreation opportunities. On the uh, state park and forest infrastructure, as people know, we do have a, a large backlog, a huge need. Some of that um, can be addressed with other funds, but some of it just needs more of the same kind of funds. So yes, it'll advance us. We're we'll hope We're hoping to make measurable differences in places that people will see and understand, to be honest, some of it is a little bit invisible. It's fixing uh, water and sewer and dams and things that people just assume is okay and they're functioning, but but a lot of that's aging out and needs to be replaced. So um, seeking support and funding for infrastructure is something that will be an ongoing uh, cry for DCNR. We'll continue the efforts to talk to uh, the legislature about this need and continue to try to get good support to improve the park and forest recreation. But it's gratifying that we have this opportunity to make this you know, this one-time improvement to put a lot more projects out there, and uh, you know get get at least uh, some of the projects done and you know secure the future of the parks and forests you know for the short term. So that's good.
0: And also have secured the future, at least for the foreseeable future, of uh, of the Growing Greener program. Hugely successful, popular program. That's that's back for another go-around.
1: Absolutely. You know, every, every so often, every five to 10 years, we really got to renew our efforts and explain to the public. The good news is, uh, like you said, there's a lot of support out there for conservation, recreation, and uh, we're usually, we've always been successful, eventually, on growing greener. And I suspect that'll be the case in the future. Because we certainly will always have those needs. You know, Pennsylvania is a place that has, you know, a large outdoor recreation economy, a large uh, demand for outdoor recreation. We have a lot of restoration, remediation, clean water needs. So uh, we're gonna see the need for this continue um, on into the future. And we're able to, uh, in this budget, get some extra money for clean water. The Clean Streams Fund uh, got some money for Keystone Tree Fund. And uh, the Keystone Tree Fund money for us uh, goes partly to forested riparian buffers. As, as you know, we've been really launched, we've launched and succeeded in a statewide effort to put buffers across uh, all the watershed, all the big watershed to the Commonwealth and uh, special focus on Chesapeake Bay where we're under a, a TMDL, but the project statewide, uh, we have teams working across the Commonwealth. Again, that, uh, that effort, uh, it demands a lot of funding on into the future. So the Keystone Tree Fund is a good source, having a shot in the arm there to boost the ability to put some buffers out there is important. Uh, a portion of the money goes to Tree Vitalize, uh, our urban forestry program, with partners like Western Pennsylvania Conservancy and the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. And um, getting urban trees on the ground now is critical. You know, with, with the changes brought on by uh, climate change, with uh, hotter and hotter summers, having a uh, forest covered in urban areas is, is, is really gonna become a life and death sort of thing. So getting these trees in the ground now is, is important. Uh, again, it was a Chinese proverb, which I'll mess up, but it's something like you know, the, the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago and the second best time to plant it is now. Yeah, right now. So we gotta get those trees in the ground in, in the cities particularly. So we'll, uh, we'll have the ability to uh, enhance our efforts there and hopefully, use that money to synergize uh, more private funding and more funding by the uh, cities and towns to, to forest their urban areas.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, how, how the reforestation and riparian buffers work uh, connects with, with with the climate, obviously. And right. There wasn't uh, maybe as much directly devoted to climate uh, in this budget as a lot of people might have hoped. However, there are, are some ways in which these funding decisions will support, hopefully, um, you know, resiliency and, and decarbonization in different ways. Um, w- one of them that I wanted to ask you about is uh, I, I, I'm told that DCNR is going to be bringing on some uh, some more uh, science staff to look at possibilities for uh, carbon sequestration in Pennsylvania. Can you tell me about that?
1: Sure, absolutely. So if you look at any of the, the models that really uh, call for uh, zero, zero atmospheric carbon by 2050, A portion of that will come from uh, carbon capture and storage. And I'll I'll talk about the geologic capture and storage right now. And we we can also focus on the tree part later. But um, to do that, to do the geology, to do the science, uh, you really, again, it's kind of like planting trees. You've got to do the science now so you understand where carbon can be stored. And our geologic survey office has been steadily uh, focused on the geology with that eye. Uh, we lead um, the state's, you know, carbon capture and storage uh, task force uh, with with DEP and DCD to advance the science and thinking and understanding of this, and uh, adding some geologic uh, staff, both mapping and geologists, will allow us to further understand and be prepared uh, to answer the question when it comes: Can it can carbon be stored in the geology in this area? Um, the the bigger question of who does it and where it is is uh, not not in our purview per se, and that's that's big, bigger policy decisions. That's business-driven decisions by companies that want to want to uh, you know, want to capture their carbon. But we want to be prepared with the science. Part of that for us is understanding and, and having core samples uh, available. So when when uh, companies drill for gas, when uh, there's car was core samples retrieved from uh, a big PennDOT project. We save the geologic samples. They really truly look like tubes of rock. They're core samples, and studying the porosity of them is um, something our geologists do. And to make them available to other scientists who are doing uh, doing reconnaissance, perhaps for carbon capture and storage projects. So we have funding in the budget to build a, uh, a facility or to buy a facility to store core. Samples and have them available for geologists and scientists who are doing their due diligence for companies, for uh, DP, for other state agencies and such. So that's an important part of the budget for us that we're just getting ready to do our part of this issue. Um, In terms of uh, how does the budget support climate related issues, we consider our forest riparian buffer to be a very climate resilient process. As you think about it it's not only like storing carbon in, you know out of the atmosphere but it's also shading the streams and as we're replacing aging infrastructure and in parks and forests we have committed uh, to high performance buildings we you know many of them are lead certified you know in some cases it doesn't make sense to pursue lead certification say for a little bathhouse or something but we've committed by policy to high performance buildings so every every building that comes down or everything that's replaced, is replaced by something more efficient. We have a, a GISA program in place across the Commonwealth where we're examining and looking at all all of the elect, elect, electricity using elements of our buildings, you know, from lights to pumps to, to uh, you know heating and cooling systems and, um, and, and swapping out for more efficient equipment. Um, And then we're putting solar arrays up uh, in parks and trying to net zero out uh, as many state parks as we can with the goal eventually uh, having all the parks be net zero. We're putting uh, about 46 electric vehicle charging stations in the parks really to enable the EV users to visit the parks and, and recharge their car when they're visiting the parks. And that's to kind of fill out the network that's currently available to EV users. I think at some point in society, there'll be so many EV charging stations that may not be necessary, but for now it is. And then um, we have in numerous other green practices. Every time we get a chance to build or rebuild something, uh, we instill the, the best, the green practices. So I guess in a way, I mean, I think almost all of our infrastructure budget could be seen as a green investment because uh, we're, we're certainly looking at at that, it's not just a uh, good environmental move, it's a good um, operational budget move. One of the tight things the state government's regular operating budgets is if you can lower your costs when you build something, um, you know, doing that investment up front will help save operating budget later. So we're, we're trying to make that change everywhere we can. And then of course the, the bike, uh, the trail connectors that we're trying to do in the grants program, uh, we have a goal of closing the top 10 trail gaps as you know we always have uh, top 10 trail gaps these are the, uh, the, high, the higher use areas that are often um, commuter routes as well as recreational trails and so the more we can make it uh, safe uh, for people to travel by bicycle and, and commute by bicycle recreate uh, yeah, by foot or bike you know that um, that's got that's a carbon uh, friendly move as well so Number of things embedded in our budget that are not called out as climate, but that are part of our 225 point climate <laughs> resiliency and uh, mitigation plan that we have in DCNR.
0: Well, I, I think you're on the verge of closing one of those top 10 trail gaps. You were just out in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago to announce some funding for the Spring Garden Street Greenway project, which is something that yes. has been involved in. What, what can you
1: tell us about that and why it's important? That project is phenomenal. If you think about uh, Philly sitting there at the, you know, the confluence of the Schuylkill and the Delaware and the Schuylkill and the Delaware have both been, and um, both have trail development along them and both tried to green up uh, the river sides and provide access to the communities to these two major rivers. But uh, what was lacking uh, was connecting across between the Schuylkill and the Delaware, and then therefore connecting through several communities that, ironically, don't have safe uh, access to to a river. So by um, creating the Spring Garden Street Greenway, you essentially put a trail, and it's gonna seem like a trail, look like a trail, right right through the heart of Philly, and uh, in in doing so, connect the communities, right, to two assets, the the Schuylkill or the uh, Delaware River Trail, but in terms of the big picture, East Coast Greenway will go right through there. So folks traveling from the South up, up to the North can go right right through the down, downtown Philadelphia on, on their travels. But it's, so it's a big connector, but it's also a neighborhood connector. It'll take a, it's a big project, it'll take a while to do it, but it was, um, it was really cool to be able to be a part of that and make an investment that helped get that project moving after all these years.
0: Well, Secretary Dunn, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for for joining us on the podcast and uh, talking through some of what's uh, in store in the state budget.
1: Good. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, We're uh, very busy uh, getting getting ready to spend it and get that money on the ground. We want to create the opportunities for people to be outdoors, to recreate, to... uh, clean up the environment, to shade the streams, to do all the things it can do as quickly as we can. So we're, we're very busy getting it out in the ground as fast as we can. And it's been really really an honor to have that opportunity.
0: Well, we look forward to seeing what comes of it. I hope you'll keep us posted.
1: We certainly will. We'll keep in touch. All
0: right. Well, thanks again. Great talking with you.
1: Thanks, Josh.
0: That's Cindy Adams Dunn, Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. She's also the recipient of Peck's Lifetime Achievement Award for 2022, presented at our Western PA dinner in May, recognizing her years of work to promote watershed health, conservation, and outdoor recreation in the Commonwealth. Check out the video accompanying this post to learn why she deserves that honor. You can find it all at pecpa.org, P E C P A.org, where all of our past podcast episodes are hosted. You can stream them right there in your web browser. Or if you're a hardcore podcast listener, you can uh, subscribe in your application of choice. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Player.fm, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts are found. And that's all for this episode. We'll be back in a couple more weeks. Hope you can join us then. I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.